0: Welcome to Roots, a music podcast. My name is Alex. And I'm Edo. And together we are on a journey to celebrate and discover the music of different cultures from around the world.
1: In each episode, we will venture to new places under the guidance of expert musicians who are active in the traditional music scene of the region or the group of people they represent.
0: We will learn everything there is to know about the music, what it sounds like, how it's made, who performs it, and the occasions in which it is performed. Most importantly, we'll find out how this music has evolved into the 21st century.
1: Our guests will also workshop their music with us, so that we can all experience the music directly from its source. We are so excited for you to come on this journey with us and explore the world through music. Music
0: Today is Alexandra Denda, an internationally recognized singer and multi-instrumentalist originally from Belgrade, Serbia, but now based in New York City. She is the co-founder of Rosa, an international, traditional, Serbian, all-female a cappella group endorsed by the New York Folklore Society. She was educated at Berklee College of Music, where she developed an appreciation for a variety of genres of music and now performs as a multi-genre musician. Most notably, Alexandra shared the stage with Dee Bridgewater and Herbie Hancock in a global celebration of International Jazz Day at DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C. Her most recent project is with the Slavo-Rican Assembly, a group that combines traditional music from the Balkans with the music traditions of the Caribbean to create an eclectic mix of sounds that bridges the gap between two seemingly different cultures. Alexandra is also the director of the first international contemporary music competition for young musicians in the Balkans entitled The Best Musical Mind. It is organized by Multicultivator Service and supported by Berkeley College of Music and Suiza Lima Conservatory. Apart from being such a talented musician, she is committed to preserving folk music and keeping it alive in the 21st century, which is why she is here with us today. Alexandra, welcome and thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you for having me. And wow, thank you for that introduction. I should have that as a vibe.
0: <laughs> you put it you put it you put it together
2: so, so beautifully. No worries, thank you.
0: I mean,
1: we should start providing these service professional bio providers for yes.
0: uh, I <laughs> sure there's I'm sure I could make money there. What? Okay. So <laughs> Okay. Thank you for being here. Um I guess thank the you. first question I have for you is what is your history with Serbian women's music? I would
2: maybe firstly focus on just generally generally with traditional serbian music cuz um when i was in kindergarten i started playing the accordion which is like a very uh prevalent instrument in serbian traditional music and not just traditional music but more like newer folk music, so to say, especially like music of Kafana or starogradsky like old town songs. But more in terms of like really, really going into the tradition. For me, it was actually through dance. It was through what we call folklore or, or kolo. But kolo is just one type of a dance in a variety of different um, dances, that you know uh were present in wherever serbs used to live i think that's the most accurate (laughs) (laughs) description um so and you know music is um a a huge element to the dance and it's usually live music it's usually performed with live musicians um so for me that was really the, the the first encounter with this type of Um, art form or this type of traditional expression or or folkloric art, so to say. So I I did that for two or three years. And then after that, there was a huge gap uh, because I went on to study Uh, music in in a music school and that the only option that i had was uh, classical music so first i studied um accordion for a couple of years then i switched to piano and then later on i switched to vocals in high school so in music high school i switched to vocals and i switched to jazz Mm. um, because i had option of classical singing or jazz singing and jazz was was closer to the music that i was listening at the time so it was a really really huge gap and it wasn't until I went to Berkeley that I started um, to be surrounded with people from different cultures. And they were like a lot of them were really immersed in in the traditions of the places that they came from. And there were a lot of different ensembles that would nurture that. That that was like an Indian ensemble. There was a Balkan ensemble. There was at the time like very Bulgarian music heavy and more like the 21st century bulgarian traditional music like uh, the bulgarian voices um, type of um, Mm -hmm. arrangements they were very you know like they've kept the the sound which is very traditional very specific but then the arrangements are very 21st century classical meets jazz voicings kind of a Mm -hmm. thing Um, but for me, that was like going back to the roots in some way, right? Like going to the neighboring country um, and and exploring traditional music from something that ve- felt very familiar. And then I did a lot of other things. I, I sang in a Kenyan group, in a Mozambican um, ensemble, like a fusion band, basically. But a lot of these different cultures and, and constantly the common thread of all of these different groups and projects that i've been a part of was like they were taking an element of traditional music and then a spark in me was born in terms of oh hold on who am you know and also like living abroad for for a while though you start to think about your identity and your uh, national identity in a different way when you are just you know uh Plucked out of your regu- your regular mm-hmm. environment and and y- yeah your your motherland so to say so a lot of these questions of oh the curiosity about this music and where to start from and it's just interesting how you know when you have curiosity life usually conspires to you know find help you find answers. So I met uh, a lady in a friend in New York who was uh, who is a filmmaker and who was uh, uh, making a movie about traditional Serbian music from the musical standpoint, but also analyzing the cultural elements, the political elements, um, the gender studies through a gender studies prism as well. And with her. I got to discover a huge range of this repertoire. It was mostly songs that were sung sung by women, and it was an aesthetic and a sound that I was absolutely unfamiliar with. Because the music that I that I used to dance to in Kolo is completely different. It's a different sound. It's a different um, vibe, <laughs> so to say. So I feel weird using that word, you know, to describe folk music, but. It, <laughs> it is it is a different atmosphere it it is a different it has a different character so to say um and um and this was something completely different that i was really in awe of and with maria we co-founded um rosa and then that's when my really like thorough journey through discovering and and nurturing this music Um, started and also me finding my way of expressing it and and teaching it to other people especially people who are not from Serbia who don't speak the language um, and also like finding a way for us to have a sound that's authentic but at the same time respects the diversity that we have within the group which is really really precious and what what makes us different right
0: because the group Rosa is made up of you know people from all around the world you have so where are the, some of the countries that the members are from so right right now the current members we have india
2: slash dubai um, then we have croatia we have puerto rico the u.s and argentina
0: and they're all singing serbian women's music like that's in this specific yes. style that's incredible <laughs> like that's such an yeah. yeah that's such that an amazing colorful. thing that you're doing um to bring them all together like that you know and to keep it alive in that way yeah
2: yes and i and
0: i i have these
2: different moments of yeah i mean this is happening and kind of not taking it for granted but just kind of feeling you know that's that's what happens and then i have a moment of like no that's not just that a thing that just happens <laughs> there's kind of you know like it, there's an element of magic in there of like how are we actually or how are they all making it happen how we're all making it happen together and the amount of interest and, and dedication and effort that goes into that and 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 also the amount of of uh, acceptance and tolerance and just um finding this unity within diversity that happens uh, most of the time subconsciously you know when we come to get a sound together because voices they're shaped by like our voices our sounds are shaped by the culture so we're all coming from a different coordinating system musically speaking and with different instincts right different musical instincts depending on where we're coming from and then we are able to get a sound together and there's really something amazing about that so something i you know i have like every now and then i have these moments of (laughs) all like what's actually happening and it is just so magical
0: like there is something so special about this music because i've sung with rosa a few times and just to be able to be in that um in that element and um there and there's everybody kind of Having an emotional response to the music, no matter where they come from, that is like that was just such a beautiful experience. And I and I've also watched Rosa, you know. So it's like I've I've been in both. Mm. I've been in both seats and both both Rose. ways. Mm. It's just this like beautiful experience, and um, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and
2: what you're saying for me, it's what I had singing music from all these other places that are you know that are not really that's not close culturally to to where i'm coming from and i think that's that's what tradi- traditional music holds within holds this timelessness it holds something very universal right. that we can really easily connect to um so yeah I, I don't think it's just characteristic of balkan music i think it's characteristic of most of the traditional yeah. music that we can really, once we tap into that, we can easily connect. And it's just incredible.
1: So there's a a big affective uh, dimension, uh, I guess. Very often when we think about music, we think of it merely in terms of uh, technique, of technicality, of what scale do you use? What rhythm do you use?
2: Or we also think about, especially if we think about popular music is can we relate to these lyrics, right? Because a lot of non-musician people, they, what they connect to, first of all, is the lyrics and then it's the rhythm, right? Is the, is the song carrying me, you know? And then, and of course, they're, they're feeling all the other things, but what they're consciously connected to are usually these two elements, right? This makes me dance and these lyrics make me cry. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's
2: you know? true. <laughs> I think these two things are like one some of the most powerful things in in contemporary music and pop music. But then, traditional music has goes deeper than that. Especially when we look at at the lyrics, you know, a lot of times we don't when we listen to uh, traditional music from elsewhere, we don't understand the language. Even if we do do understand the language, these are the stories of people from hundreds and years ago. Some stories are still relevant some are not that much but we still connect to it and it's like it's meta (laughs) you know it's
0: beyond (laughs) (laughs) absolutely moving on from um kind of the feeling which is oh so important but kind of going back to physically and geographically um these songs where they come from because um serbia's mm-hmm. borders have changed significantly since the time that this music first appeared um so when you're saying serbian women's music are mm. you talking about serbia as, as it is today or more as the balkans in general um where exactly are we talking about when we say mm-hmm. serbian women's music
2: yeah that that's an that's an excellent question i mean even to put things into my personal perspective since I was born, the three decades that I've been on this earth, my country changed its name and territories like four times. So I had to change my passport four times so it <laughs> has a different name on it. <laughs> right? And this is just the last 30 years. So even before, you know, like if we go hundreds and years back, it's even more dynamic. Um, so when we do say Serbian music, what we really mean is music music that serbs uh, that serbs sang and sung and nurtured so uh, it's wherever serbs still reside or where they used to reside so when, because we ha- when we say it's in the Balkan area right because we have right we have a lot of diaspora in australia and in the states and and beyond but this is within right the territory that was at some point the serbian territory Because we have a lot of Serbs still living in parts of Croatia. We have a lot of Serbs living in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Herzegovina, a lot. Herzegovina. Um, A lot of Serbs living around the borders with Macedonia. Kosovo is a huge thing that I don't even want to get into. (laughs) But, you know, there are a lot of Serbs in Kosovo still, you know. So, So I think, yeah, the best explanation is where Serbs... Reside or used to reside.
1: Yeah, but then within that, this is very interesting, of course, and and it b- makes complete sense. Very, very often we, especially when we think about world music, we tend to label uh, by nation as if nations mm. were a given, right? When this is of course a very easy demonstration. But even before when you were talking about the two different types of music, women's uh, music and. Uh, uh, I start, I'm i sorry, the the, the the name of the genre you started with ah, me. It was
2: kola, yeah, cola. it was there it was kola, right? Like dance music, yeah.
1: Exactly. Even, you know, countries that are not necessarily uh, America, <laughs> let's say, or the <laughs> UK, also have a variety of genres within them and they interact. So I was wondering, staying, st- still staying in this geographical sort of uh, mind frame, um, I'm interested to know how does this music we're talking about today specifically then relates to the neighboring possible traditions? Because before you you, you started mentioning the Bulgarian uh, choir uh, music, mm-hmm. which is probably a type of style that more people are familiar with. Uh, I know that I am, for example, but um, I know that yeah. there's possibly more literature. Um, and um, more attention from the media, but I don't know. Mm. Uh, how does yeah, it relate I mean, that's to a great p- neighboring countries?
2: And that's a great point you made, that Bulgarian music definitely had more PR and that PR did not happen on its own. Actually, it was uh, a campaign of Bulgarian government once they were in transition, once they became a democracy. They wanted to work on... The reputation of their country and one way to do that was culture and it was music so this whole project bulgarian voices was was actually supported by the government it was the the choir of the radio television bulgaria so it's just beautiful to to you know like see um, the value that a country uh, put into their traditional music and how much they worked on spreading that and because i feel like in the 90s when that happened there was this bulgarian voices or bulgarian music kind of uh Mm. you know like infection in a positive way (laughs) you know like going spreading (laughs) around the world (laughs) you know not the infection that we have today (laughs) it was a beautiful musical you know It was just like this huge spread of this sound and and people getting more familiar with it and really getting dazzled by it. Um, So it was really beautiful. Um, And it's a great question that you asked because when we say Serbian music or music of Serbs, definitely there's so much differentiation between different regions and uh, borders there play a a big role. So for instance, if we talk about music from Prizrenska Gora or from like, East Serbia that borders with Bulgaria even the language that they use it's a dialect that's very that's a dialect that's also spoken by um, Bulgarian people that are on the border so what happened once was I was doing like an international folk uh, song exchange and there were a lot of Bulgarians there and there are a couple of words that I thought meant what it means in my dialect and then they told me Sandra that's not a (laughs) castle that's that's a a backyard (laughs) (laughs) because in their in their dialect it means that and it makes sense because that song is from there so what they thought it meant was more accurate than what i what i thought you know so even you know language wise there's this dialect that we share with bulgarians that are that's present in the songs the songs that are from that region like east serbia like southeast serbia bordering with bulgaria in terms of sound and inflections it's definitely closer to bulgarian music of west bulgaria in that sense right um if we if we are in kosovo which was heavily influenced by the the uh, turkish empire like 500 years ago there's a very prevalent um influence of of, of that, of the makam, of the Turkish makams. But it's not, it doesn't sound right. It's very uh, heterogenic. It's not, oh, we've taken, we absolutely adopted the makam and we're doing Turkish music the Turkish way. No, it's just an influence that got fused in and then something new happened, right? Um, and then you have the central Serbia, which has something completely different. If you go to Herzegovina and Lika, you have a lot of in these places, you have a lot of these gangas and potresalitsas, these kind of sp- specific glottal attacks, techniques that happen there that are. V- and it makes a lot of sense because that's a very mountainous area. So we have these effects, right, that you mm. that helps you be heard. <laughs> Right. Because who knows what kind of situations these people were in that they had to reach for each other and be heard. So um, no wonder there's there are these elements and these specific techniques that were probably created in interaction with the natural environment that they were in. How voice rings in these spaces and what's the goal that we want to achieve with the sound that we make. So that's a great question um and yes also if we go we don't have as many songs from there but if you go to the to the north of serbia that's very austro hungarian influenced so over there you don't have you you don't have much of uh odd meters usually none and a lot of it is kind of three four and more waltzy and more like happy go lucky and less intense and less intervals of seconds and things like that right so um, that's what makes the music of this place very interesting because we all put it under a roof of Serbian music or music of Serbs, but it's so, so much influenced um, by these other cultures because you know, the country uh, borders with six countries. We have Hungary, uh, Slovenia, Croatia, Macedonia, Bulgaria, Romania, Montenegro. Kosovo or Albania. So it's yeah. eight. You're bordering with eight countries. Um, and, and the territory changed so much. And there were influences throughout the centuries. So yes, there is, it's really rich culturally. It's really a, a melting pot of, of different influences and different sounds that get intertwined together.
0: And geographically, like the Balkans were just... It literally connects the east and the west. Mm-hmm. So it's just... I mean, Italy is like a boat ride to the West, but then you have all of like the Middle East to the East. And like that's just so and so there must have been throughout the years, you know, cross pollination. Yes, <laughs> of, yes. It's, it was a, a cross pollination. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Constant
2: cross-pollination so, and, and cross-pollination of religions as well. You have Orthodox Christian, you have Catholic, you have um you have Islam, and then there's also Judaism. So mm-hmm you know there's been a lot of that as well so when you when you take that into account as well for such a small territory it's very dynamic absolutely and then it's dynamic in every possible sense right <laughs> not just musically and culturally but just like politically and economically and all of that but we're not going to get we into could go that on and on <laughs> yeah so
0: leaving like the geopolitical like geographic side behind maybe we can just go into um just uh, wh- what occasions uh do you play this music or sing this music um what does the repertoire change uh for different occasions um why are you singing it how are you singing it (laughs) all of that um
2: yes that's a great question because there is a variety of occasions and how it used to be in common people's setting is there is a song for a particular occasion and you sing that song only in that occasion and you know you cannot sing a wedding song when you are cleaning in the house you know (laughs) or when you're out in the field Um, so there was there's this so I usually make a distinction between ritual songs songs for the psych like important parts of the, the cycle of life and then what's called kind of private songs or funny songs um, so ritual songs are the ones um, that are particularly performed either by men by or by women depending on what type of ritual it is and then there's There's even more specifics into that, um, especially uh, for types of rituals that involve summoning some kind of supernatural forces. There's a specific type of women that are allowed to perform those rituals and therefore sing the songs, and it usually has to do with a woman's ability to, you know, for for childbirth or like carry a baby, right? So usually those type of women are excluded. So you would either have young girls who are still virgins and who haven't got their period yet you would have women who are widows or menopausal women who you know cannot have babies anymore so usually these type of women were are given the permission or uh, the permission to lead or be part of these rituals and sing these songs um then you have other things like summoning the rain harvest songs songs for women while they're weaving songs for women while they're out working in the fields or like getting water or working around the household and talking about who's going to do what type of a chore um so these were really particular women uh women type of songs um and then we have these songs that are like for right important moments in the cycle of life we still as a modern society hold very like dear and and we still create different type of rituals um, in any culture which is birth wedding and death so there are songs for for these, parts of these occasions um, and even in Serbia that even within the wedding songs you have particular songs you have songs that are for Svatovi which is a particular name for a wedding party so that's where the wedding party is singing then you have songs for the groom you have songs that are at the actual wedding you have a song that uh, that the uh, bride-to-be is singing that are for, or that are for her so even within the wedding songs there is this classification of what when and how their songs particularly for drinking <laughs> you know like you sing this song only when you drink <laughs> um another another important thing uh within the serbian and orthodox or christian orthodox community are slavas and slava is um like a ho- like a, a family's holiday of a of a family like a saint patron saint so each family has a saint that basically they um inherit from the man's side throughout generations and that they celebrate. So for instance, on the 20th of January, it's St. John or Svetiovan. Um, and then there's songs for Slava's, particularly for for Slava's. And I think one of the drinking songs are actually particularly for that. This is for drinking at the Slava. <laughs> <laughs> That's so
0: particular. And Slavas, are
2: really, and Slava's are really a big deal. It's such a it's 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 really all about the community and, and connecting. And it's 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 such a it's almost as important as a wedding in, in people's lives. Um, and, you know, um, so yeah so that's for the cycles and then you have the third group of songs which is which are these more intimate songs and i like to compare that to the ritual songs because they hold a very like a very interesting differentiation between like a duality of a woman's role in serbian patriarchal society because on one hand right only the woman is the one that has the ability to communicate with supernatural forces, help crops, bring the rain down, so you know the soil is watered, and all of these, or um, sing at the funeral to help the other person move on to the next stage of life, and also heal everybody else that's staying. You know, so w- woman is given this, or women are given these very important like communicator with the other side of life kind of (laughs) right they're they're (laughs) almost mediums I guess yes like mediums right these magical this magical kind of a role um that's very superior right it like it holds uh, an element of power within right you have to be powerful in order to execute all of these different things and then on the other hand when you look into these intimate songs you see the burden of patriarchal society of my family has chosen me to marry to this person and i don't really want to i have a husband that drinks and only brings sorrow when he comes home my husband beats me Hmm. so you know there's a huge and you have this submissive role and and it was all but and it's just also important to see um how th- the significance of these intimate songs because probably they were the only vehicle for these women at a time to actually express these things
0: mm-hmm.
2: it was probably they're probably not allowed you know to sit at a family dinner and share their sorrows and their hardships and their hurdles and they're disagreeing with their family's cho- choice of, you know, uh, husband and, and, you know, all the fear of leaving the family house and going into this unknown person's home and family, marrying into the, into their family, basically. So it's it's important that, you know, they had a way to share this in a communal setting. Um in a personal but personal way at the same time. Um, so yes, I, I find these songs, you know, even though they're not ritualistic, they're not part of this s- cycle of life. Uh, songs they are important from this intimate, intimate point of uh, view.
3: Oh, Još one gdje je janje moje, Još one gdje je janje moje. Svi svatovi okićeni vinom, vinom, svi svatovi okićeni vinom. Našas naša dogodine sinom, sinom. našas naša dogodine sinom. Naša snaša ne zna hoće naša, naša snaša, ne zna hoće naša. A naš baja ne zna vjerovanja, A naš baja zna vjerovanja. Drugo moja i ti si budala, drugo moja.
1: I wanted to ask you, going back to ritual music, uh, because then again, that's something that I've I've seen happening uh, sometimes. Uh, Even with Kajali, we discussed it last week uh, in in our latest episode that uh, uh, West African traditional music of the jelly uh, has sort of crossed the border of the situations where it was originally played. Uh, are some of these ritual music specifically? Because the others, I guess, it's less important. I get maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's my assumption to bring them outside of their context. Does that happen? Do people perform now uh, as part of a repertoire at a concert, uh, devoid of the ritual significance of the experience?
2: Mm, I, you, you made so many great points that I have a lot a lot going on in my <laughs> in my mind right now. And yes, I think what you mentioned is these songs happen first in closed communities, right? So that's why that intimacy was created because it was a safe place. And then now it's being performed in front of an audience. So already we are taking it out of the context. Even if we, you know, physically perform something that's going to textualize it in some way, we are definitely like ripping it off uh, from its original setting. Um, so I think that's something whoever, that um, it's like a task for anyone who does any sort of folk music to always think back to the context and respect the context and the setting that the music was originally created in in the the best way that they can. For instance, a lot of times they hear songs that are usually laments being in like suddenly have 140 BPM. <laughs> and, oh you know, it doesn't really serve the the message of the song the setting that it was created in and the energy that it originally exudes so i think that's something that we really need to stay aware aware of um speaking of ritual songs actually took me a while to find them to find recordings of them um one of them being part of like the folk recordings in the u.s i found Kraličina uh, song which is for this ritual called kraljic and kraljica means queen in serbian i that i haven't found anywhere else so for for those type mm-hmm. of songs you really need to dig in and there is one person in serbia that really has is a treasure trove for these type of songs and performs them with her group her name is svetlana spaj so it was also through through her work that i've uh found some of these songs but they're from to my knowledge that they're not as performed uh, or recorded which you know in one way you want to have them somewhere preserved right physically but then on the other Mm -hmm. hand having in mind you know the magical purpose of it it's you feel like they shouldn't be (laughs) (laughs)
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, there's always a big ethical there this, question. Isn't yeah, there? There. there's
2: a huge ethical yeah. question. And actually this reminds me of a film that I saw at MoMA that um had a huge backlash. These poor filmmakers were attacked by half of the audience and it's like I think it's also the the woke New York audience. I think they never encountered anybody <laughs> else <laughs> like that except at MoMA. Right. But what what they did, they're two they're they're a French of, of filmmakers and they went to brazil um to these tribes that usually are not recorded in any way and not only did they took footage of them but they took footage of them when, while they're they're performing these highly spiritual private endemic rituals and the way the also had, scent, i assume probably they got some type of consent but you know knowing that these people live the way they do they live in like primal human societies their sense of contract and you know and the people they were like yeah and western sense of contract i'm sure it's very and and the awareness and the consequences and you know all of that i'm sure it's very different uh, i mean they don't have access to electronics to begin with <laughs> you know right. um, yeah. so so maybe consent I,
1: but not informed consent like somebody yes. translating and actually explaining and
2: exactly uh, and also so it was presented but also like the problem that i had with it is because the footage was altered they put in the music that they decided to put. They put some kind of editing effects to give you a sense of the you are in delirium, or you know probably how they felt being part of these a little bit psychedelic. Sometimes you know uh, rituals that have a psychedelic effect on your mm-hmm. psyche. So they were trying to do that visually, but I really had a problem with it. That was something that was really pushing my buttons. <laughs> I can
1: imagine. Uh, I can imagine.
2: And and then. There was a huge backlash on different levels from from the New York audience. Um, but yeah, sorry, I digressed a little bit. But it, this is just to say that you know that ethical question of you know um, messing with something that's somebody else, especially somebody else's some some other cultures cultures ritual. Because um, uh, I think when you're when you are an outsider, and I speak this from from the role that I had as an outsider in other people's ensembles, singing music of the culture that wasn't mine. You really have an extra, you have to be aware of an extra responsibility in terms of there to be aware that there are things that you don't know. That you don't you don't don't even know that you don't know. I I think that that's an important awareness um, that you have to maintain when you are an outsider of a culture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You also have a certain
1: power, and you don't realize that you do. Mm. But and it, it can be dangerous, and that's what you want to avoid. Sorry, Alex. Uh, <laughs>
0: no. Yeah. And I mean, I was just gonna say that's exactly kind of why we, you know we started this show is because we wanted to make sure that we were that there was a there was a platform where um, you know one of many platforms, but just yet another platform that allows. Um, cultural music to be heard and to be heard with respect and because we and I mean we both come at it from such a place of respect and 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 love and the fact that we just want it to be preserved and um and you know what you're doing with rosa is just is such a testament to that by inviting all of these people from so many different places yeah there's there's uh, there's big importance in that and and a gravity but also um you know Importance.
2: And thank you guys for creating such an amazing and informed environment. You know, with the, you know, firstly that you're doing this, and then in the environment that you created to do this is amazing. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Well, thank
1: you. Um, I think we should talk about the music yes, now, right? I, I'm ready for that. <laughs>
0: so could you maybe? Because I mean we've we've played some of these songs now at the beginning and in the middle you haven't been privy to it but we have inserted them and um, so people have now heard what this music sounds like so but it is I mean upon my first hearing of it many years ago um, I was I was struck by it because I just I found it so so powerful just um, just how the vocal production happens and also just um, Just how how the actual songs are being sung and the and the melodies and how different they sounded from anything I've ever heard before. Um, So could you maybe just break down just basic uh, tonal structure and melodic structure and rhythmic structure? Just like how how does a song like this? How is it created? How does it sound? Um, That sort of Mm, thing. Yes, sure. So tonal
2: or kind of mode speaking um, a lot of these songs have a very like minor implication but um, and, and on the other hand a modal interchange is something that happens right you would be in one mode and then suddenly a lot of times like a flat two would be inserted so suddenly you have this kind of a phrygian mode element or like spanish phrygian um, there is a balkan minor that's very uh, common as a as, as a as a mode um, and and the presence of uh, augmented second right especially in the areas that have Turkish empire oh, influence right. um, so this kind of harmonic tetrachord Uh, That's even either in the uh, the first or the second tetrachord, Mm -hmm. depends. So there's a lot of a lot of that. The the minor second, the right. It also happens every now and then. You would have a song, for instance.
4: Mm-hmm. so suddenly you have that
2: flat too right. but then in the other verse is going to be it's going to stay so you have moments of you know this modal interchange that happens mm-hmm. so you suddenly switch to a little bit the tonal center stays the same but you switch a little bit to another mode okay um Rhythmically, as i spoken before, the more Ottoman influence there was, there's in those type of areas, you have a lot of um, odd meter, usually it's seven, eight, and it's divided in three. So you feel it as a three, uh, but it's uneven, right? You have one group of three beats and two groups of two beats. So uh, usually the three beats either happen in the beginning or in the end. So you would have one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one. So that's the song that I just sang. So you would have three, two, two, three, two, two. Yes. Or you would have two, two, three. So I'm trying to figure out if I, it's usually for dance. I don't think I know a song that has this subdivision that's being sung. That's okay. (laughs) yeah because gugutka is also three two two sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so usually like the the point being the three is probably not gonna be in the middle middle. um yes and what's also right and you're feeling you have three downbeats right when you have these seven eight one two three one two one two cut and usually the first downbeat being the heaviest and then everything else um, being like that so it's very downbeat oriented right uh, unlike music that comes from africa and then later on african influence in south american music brazilian music where you have a lot of syncopations and a lot of anticipations and a lot of off beats here is no offbeat it's really about the subdivision mm. and the odd meter the subdivision within the odd meter that makes that that's a you know like s- specifics and something magical that happens rhythmically right uh, and i'm saying this because i find it very interesting because as i mentioned before we have singers from different cultures and their musical instincts are different so a lot of times like we have a singer that's from argentina and for her to feel the downbeat and not have a, a you know and not go into syncopation or anticipation it's something you know it's an instinct that she has to fight right. <laughs> in order
0: <laughs> in order to
2: make this happen right so it's, yeah, it's interesting in, in, in that sense. 7-8, um, there's 9-8 as well. Sometimes, and this is mostly for dance, you would have 11-8. Um, but most other times it's 4-4. Four, four. Uh, we, ha- we don't sing as many songs from the north where you would have this waltzy uh, type mm-hmm. of rhythm. And a lot of these songs, especially if they're not in odd meter, are very rubato. Right. So, you know, we initially say that they're in 4-4 but it's they're really stretched out it's not really that you're you know like having a steady count you know if you would have to notate them there would be a lot of pauses you know a lot of commas a lot of fermatas and god knows what in order to you know write that down with some kind of precision Uh, but yeah what's very specific about this music as a lot of other traditional music you cannot really notate it down to perfection down to every detail Um, because there's a lot of vocal things that you do glottal sounds yodeling sounds uh, the shaking sounds particular ways how you um, do a certain thrill a certain melisma um, how you feel the rhythm of that right you can write that as a series of 30 seconds or sixteenths like grace you know like thrills how you write them in in baroque music but it's not really (laughs) that, you know, Mm -hmm. if you never heard it and you're reading it, you're not going to sing it with precision. Um, Yes. So that's uh, then what's often dictating the form is how how the lyrics are organized in terms of rhymes or numbers of syllables. So what's very common in poetry and then translates, I mean it's it comes from folk poetry and then you know it found its way into music and found its way into modern poetry, it's what we call desiterats, and desit means ten. So you have ten syllables. You have ten, yeah. right? So one line is ten syllables. And so that really dictates um, the flow of the song, the phrasing, and you know, how many bars you're gonna you're gonna bars for to sort of say, you're gonna have, you know, within the format. Um, so the cetera is something that's culturally very, very present and very specific for for the Balkans and f- for Serbian music. Harmonically, or in when it comes to the repertoire that we sing, I would say the main distinction is between two types of songs. Um, na glas and na bas so na glas in serbian means voice it means like with the voice so to say Um, and these are usually older types of songs the melodic range of these songs is smaller it's usually sang only by two singers and they're kind of both singing the main melody where the others and uh, there's a lot of interval of seconds minor seconds major seconds that happen so a lot of times they sync together and then there are these moments where they split into seconds and there's a lot of droniness or a lot of like uh, long notes a lot of glissandos and i would say those are kind of particular elements of, of that style whereas if you see a more elaborated melodic me- me- melody melodic phrase it's usually a newer one and Oftentimes harmonically what happens, its called it falls into this category of nabas, bas meaning the bass. so it's like with the bass or basically with the pedal, where one person, a, a, a soloist sings the main melody that's very elaborative. And then the group of singers, so this is for two and more, usually three and more singers. The, the rest of the singers sing the pedal, which is often a combination of just tonic and and uh, dominant. So they're switching between do and sol if we are in movable do land. Yes. So in, in terms of vocal music, that's what happens. Um, instrumental music, harmonically, it's it, more complex because it's also more modern. So it's constantly being influenced, whatever is happening. You know, it's in, in interaction with, the the rest of the music of the area, so it has uh, a lot of that. But there are a lot of secondary dominance, which is very interesting. Yes, and and, and what I mentioned, uh, modal interchange that's also imposed
0: harmonically. Right. And what I also yeah. what you also said, and what I pick up on whenever I hear this music is just the fact that it's ornament heavy, so to speak. Like there, that ornaments mm. are like, I from what I hear is the probably one of the most important aspects of the of the song is that correct to say um yes i mean they're so
2: characteristic and so enchanting that definitely you know we launch onto them we are i'm captivated by them and and that speaking of them it's also very important (laughs) to know that each version has its vocabulary of ornaments so you know it's almost like you're Learning eras of of jazz, right? So, what you would do in the twenties, and then later what you would do in the sixties. You know, it's both. It's all jazz, but it's just like a, a different subgenre, so to say. So these melismatic moments are all also very region defined. Okay, but I would, I, but I would say, you know, it traditional music. It's such a live thing. It still lives on. And because of the migration and now because we are more connected and also we have ethnomusicology as a science, um, there is more merging of right, these different elements. So, you know, at the time, you were probably won't leave your village for your entire life. Uh, and you would just stay with and you would hear what you know what's just in your immediate surrounding but today you know we can hear just music from our country from where all over the world so all of that influences our our vocabulary our our ears and what we hear as available right when we sing something so I think today there's more freedom in in merging that or just it just inevitably happens even though if you have an intention of i'm just gonna do this this way i feel you know you cannot fight your subconscious Mm. to the core it also it also goes (laughs) to say like
0: you know each singer is gonna do it differently i think we spoke about this once before where you were saying like you know (laughs) you know you want to bring your own um uh, you know, style into it while while at the same time being respectful to the original style, um, which I thought was really interesting mm. because, it, like like you said, it's all it's living. Uh, folk music is living. Now, jumping off of that, are there any non musical um, elements to this performance practice that you know we as a listener should know about?
2: Visually, or just formation wise. Um how how we perform this music and how i've seen other groups perform it in majority was holding hands and there are different ways how to hold hands so you can just hold hands regularly how a regular person holds their hand but then there's a way that you can interlock so one person basically holds their hand on their waist with their elbow stuck out and then another person interlocks with them
1: so okay, that's okay.
2: right. So you're kind of all standing with your hands on the waist, interlocking. Mm-hmm. And there's another way with when you hold somebody with your hand behind your back. So you're interlocking behind. And a lot of these ways of holding hands I've seen mostly in the dance in Kolo, because um, and the dance itself also just reflects so many of of the cultural elements or priorities because i remember talking to a friend of mine who's from argentina and there you have this very sensual dance that's that happens in a couple right so you have sensuality sexuality sexual tension just you know a woman and a man kind of an interaction and then we have cola which is 20 people holding hands you know in a circle (laughs) (laughs) right so and there's nothing sexual about it or sensual (laughs) whatsoever it's really just we're together we're community we are strong together we are we are locked in together um so just the value of community it it's so 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 important even in one of the songs there is a line that says now that i lost my father you can go on if you decide to marry somebody else i will understand because um this person acknowledges that their value the social value has decreased because now they don't have a father Mm -hmm. so you're right so you know you don't have much money you don't have much property what you have is each other so it's right the social value was The first thing, and we see that even today in 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 different in in a more more modern way. But we definitely see it like in in Belgrade. It's weird if you're sitting alone in a coffee shop. Everybody thinks someone stood you up, and they usually call you to join them, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because they feel bad.
0: (laughs) You you know, you're on your own. Oh my god. So
2: you know, this holding hands has like a really big message of unity of togetherness of loyalty of relying for each other of belonging to each other Um, so it's a really big big deal Um, another thing that's kind of musical slash non-musical element some of these songs um lullabies lullabies for the deceased ones a lot of times have these kind of squeaks at the end like Mm. that happened also in the dance but in the repertoire that we do, it usually happens in ritual songs and lullabies for the deceased. And um, some research that I've found says suggests that the these have a ritualistic or kind of magical implications of chasing bad spirits away, or you know, clearing like if it's for the de- deceased one, clearing their pathway to another world to transitioning. Um, so a lot of times, it just doesn't happen. For the kicks <laughs> it's really uh, it has right. has a deeper meaning and you know you would see that in other cultures in spanish you have ole in uh, a lot of middle east you have loo, 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 that has like a very specific magical mm. amplification in north africa as well so you know it just you just see how people do the same thing different ways you know same mm-hmm. content different form throughout the cultures um yeah so I would say these two. Third thing, a national costume is a, is a is a big part of it, or used to be. I'm not sure um, how much, you know, s- someone today still wears, you know, in the village, they still wear the national costume <laughs> while right. they, you know, do house chores or in the fields. Um, but they, they're, in terms of presenting traditional music, there's still a big part of it because um, the same thing as little classifications within the Serbian music whatever you know just by wearing seeing someone what they're wearing you can know where where they're from or like where the costume is from there's already an implication implication of you know a further cultural information or geographical information of where where this costume is from so in presenting this music definitely that's um, that's one of like a very important element and I think that also contextualizes things for the listener um because i i know i know how we feel and how we look and how other people see us when we perform in regular clothes or just in stage clothes so to say you know if we dress nicely as a group and how we feel when we do have a national costume on it's really we feel like we have you know like power rangers when they put on (laughs) (laughs) their suits they have super suddenly they have super powers and i I really feel like that like you connect it it really serves as a talisman to connect with the culture more deeply and to unify and to represent so for us our personal um feeling is different when we perform in in the national costume and also how how we are perceived as well it really cont- contextualizes things for for people because um sometimes they may especially if if they are not uh, of serbian descent they may see um see the costume and, and be like ah this looks kind of like uh, east european or or bulgarian or balkan so it really brings in closer the culture to them right and and a sense of reminiscence or something that they you know seen before
3: mm. Mm. okay
0: that's no i mean i i definitely can feel that cuz I've, I've i've seen you perform in both ways and um mm. I do like to see the the costumes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an (laughs) added element. Yeah. Mm. Um, And, of course, we're going to put all of these, like, we're going to put pictures of what um, Alexandra's talking about. Um, We're also going to put videos of um, Rosa performing. It's all going to be on the website. So if you want to go check that out after the episode, you're more than welcome, and I actually suggest you do so Um, because (laughs) it's really really magical. Um, Okay, so with all of that said... Could you maybe, um, would you be so kind as to maybe sing us a little something that, you know, that you, your, your favorite song to perform or the song that you would, you know, the first song you might teach somebody? I can do Tamna Nochi
2: because it has a lot of really beautiful ornaments. So, yes, this one is from Kosovo. Um, and it's, falls into the category of these intimate songs that I've mentioned before. Mhm. What it um, the- means dark night. Yeah. The full the full title is Tamnanochi Tamnalisi and it's dark night are you dark? And actually there there's a actually that that title itself holds another type of lyrical expression so to say. There's a lot of a lot of times a lot of things are expressed in questions. And sometimes giving answers or giving false answers and stuff like that (laughs) so just the the form of questions is is often how 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 things how songs open and
4: Mm. this one is one of them (laughs) Amna na noći, am na man, da mi alisi nevesti. Dom ali si, doma jesam sam mani sam, Yeah. Brava. Oh, that's,
0: again, every time you sing this song, I'm just, it it's takes you to another place. Yeah, this
2: song is really, I just, it's one of my favorites, I think. Yeah.
1: It's very and, beautiful. And, in in yeah. part, honestly, it doesn't surprise me that you said it's from Kosovo, right? hmm yeah, Honestly, if I didn't know that, uh, or recognize the language, or if you hadn't told me that, you know, Serbian... Uh, mm. I would have assumed it was uh, potentially Turkish, Middle Eastern or Greek. Like yes, it very... yes.
2: has a lot of, yeah, the melisma and yeah. the, the sighing, the scooping. Yes, and even the, the, the
1: sort of cadential movements are, are yes. sort of, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Mm. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. <laughs> thank,
2: yeah, thank you. you so, thank so you for much. having me. This was fun. Oh. Thank you guys. I'm excited to, you know, to to see it out in the in the daylight, out in the world. <laughs> um and along with other episodes, I'm so curious to see what else you got in store.
0: Oh, we also yeah,
2: have
0: a yeah. lot
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We have a lot. Yeah. And you're really filling in a, a, a gap here, you know, in, in the podcast world. So thank you. You know, thank mm-hmm. you for, for creating a platform. It's so beautiful yeah
0: well thanks for thanks for joining us um quickly before we leave uh where can we find you on social media on
2: social media you can find us on um rosa vocal group on instagram and facebook and www.rosavocalgroup.com. rosa rosa is spelled r-o-s-a and contrary to the popular belief it's not a rose it's not a flower it's actually because that means in in many uh romantic languages it's actually dew like d-e-w like morning dew uh, so r-o-s-a com.
0: lovely yes. okay thank you so much Thanks. Sandra.
1: thank um, you
2: thank you for having me
0: <laughs> yeah of course see you soon see you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of roots a music podcast We release new exciting episodes fortnightly, so make sure you follow us on your favorite streaming platform and at Roots Music Pod on social media. Remember to check out www.rootsmusicpod.com where you will find resources and recommendations to discover more about the music we've explored together for the past hour or so, and more music from the fantastic musicians that have guided us through this journey. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.